A brief content warning. This episode discusses domestic violence and abusive relationships. somebody watching me and like touching me and it was just so weird and I don't know if I was attracted or afraid <laughs> but I was in the, I was in that fine line of being like I am so horny but also I am scared but I think that's like really it's a really weird thing anyways that's my sleep paralysis story that's um <laughs> why is your sleep paralysis just essentially Bella's character arc and the Twilight Saga. <laughs> Hi, welcome to As A Film Student. I'm Nick. And I'm Mon. I just want to say thank you to the amazingly talented Ashuk for making the intro for our podcast. We stan a musical king. As a film student, Twilight is actually a pretty interesting film to look at when you consider it as an adaptation, how infamous it came to be, and its cultural legacy, you know? It set a precedent in the mid-2000s by being like the first of a massive wave of mainstream female-led young adult properties, you know, like girl power. Is it really girl power? We'll talk about it. Okay, so if you're not familiar, or you've blocked it out of your mind, Twilight is about an average girl, Bella Swan, who moves from sunny Arizona to a dreary, wet Washington state town called Forks. In her new high school, she meets this mysterious Edward Cullen, who, spoiler alert, is a vampire. Now, the Twilight Saga as a whole follows Bella and her incessant need to be in a relationship with Edward, despite his, mm. I want to say, condition? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, we're just going to be talking about the first Twilight film today. So, Mon, you recommended us this movie. Uh, yep. You've seen it three times this year. Yep. Why don't you go ahead and read out some of your letterbox thoughts? Well... I'm going to read my letterbox review for Twilight this year. To be a young 11-year-old girl with a fascination with the supernatural and entering her emo phase, blasting evanescence and my chemical romance in my Windows XP computer from YouTube, painting my nails black and having to wipe it off before mum sees them, keeping a post of Twilight New Moon in my room that I cut out from a newspaper and playing mushy monsters on my web browser, naming my monster Edward Cullen. Such simpler times. That is my letterbox thoughts. And as you can tell, a majority of my letterbox thoughts and review for Twilight is based on my nostalgia for it. Like, I grew up in the late 2000s and early 2010s, and I, like, discovered Twilight and the fandom around it. And it was during the same time I kind of discovered the internet as well. Back then, during, like, Twilight and, like, Twilight New Moon, it was, like, one of the most hated things on the internet. Like, do you remember the phrase a better love story than Twilight. Yeah, I, I remember that because I actually, to be honest, I was a part of that because I, growing up, I was not like other girls. <laughs> I'm not like, well, you are not like other girls, Nick. I am, yeah. I'm a boy. <laughs> yeah, but my mum was, like, really big into it, so, like, I, like, sort of pushed back and I got edgy and so, like, yeah, I was part of those, like, dickheads who were, like, oh, that's a better love story than Twilight. Yeah, 100%. And also, like, because everyone hated it, I didn't want to be the one that liked it. I didn't want to be made fun of or bullied. So I was a closet Twihard. And I didn't want, like, people to be like, oh, my God, Mon is, like, she likes Twilight. Oh, my God. That's so cringe. But I kind of discovered fan fiction because of Twilight. So do you know fanfiction.net? 
I was so big on that. I'll spend hours of my life reading Bella x Edward or like oh. Edward x Jasper. <laughs> Incest is Wincest. I was a huge Alice fan. I loved Alice. And I realized as I'm older, I think I had a crush on Alice Cullen. Honestly, Alice is like the MVP of the entire movie She series. is the MVP. An adaptation of a book got you into reading. And you're still reading the Twilight Saga, aren't you? I'm reading Midnight Sun. So Midnight Sun literally came out like a couple of weeks ago. It's interesting because Stephanie Meyer... Uh, as a writer, she's not good, but I find it interesting. Like, I would classify the Twilight Saga as, like, a sophomore work that accidentally got turned into, you know, one of the biggest franchises of the mid-2000s. And it's kind of interesting because she and her material and it being an adaptation of that material, it's like the worst bit about it. It's just, it's bad. But yeah, like, I feel like because of... Because Twilight has been such a big part of my life as a child, um, I definitely think that re-watching it and rereading it as an adult, it's incredibly polarizing as well. Because I like there's so many things about it. For example, like the romanticization of domestic abuse. I I thought that was okay as a kid. And then reading it now, it's like, man, that is not okay. That is horrifying. Like, according to an article from The Guardian, it's called Twilight is not a feminist, it's female masochism by Tanya Gold. She says that it's not only a romanticization of domestic abuse. According to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, Twilight has ticked a lot of abuse, like red flags. Yes, abuse red flags. Like, for example, does your partner make all the decisions? Yes, Edward is like an ultimate gaslighter. He manipulates her. He makes all her decisions. Look at you in ways that scare you. I mean, Edward is kind of a vampire. And does your partner force you to leave home? So in the movie in Twilight, Edward actually forces her to leave her home in Forks. Yeah, I also, um, I noticed how, like, it really emphasises those strict notions of gender and gender roles in traditional heterosexual relationships. Like, it really emphasises and glorifies, like, the male as the predator in a heterosexual relationship. And the film is not, it's not just in Stephanie Meyer's writing. Like, the film absolutely does this in the framing and, like, the mise-en-scene of Edward. Girls, like, why were we so used to this? Why is this becoming normalised and ingrained in our culture? Exactly. Like, Edward manipulates and gaslights her. Like, in the books, it says, it has this thing with the lion and the lamb, where Edward is the lion and Bella is the lamb. Edward is the predator, Bella is the prey. I guess, like, cements the idea of Edward, male, dominant, Bella, female, submissive. Just something that has been around for a long time in feminist theory as well. And also, can we just also recognise Edward sneaking to her room and watching her sleep? Just stalking her and just being a creep? Like, he's 104 years old and he's just pretending to be 17. Even, like, when we were, like, kids watching and reading, like, even that aspect of Edward being at the end of Bella's bed, like, I don't know if it was just the circle that I was running around in where, like, we all just, like, memed on Twilight because that was what was cool. All of us, like, just legitimately found that creepy, and we were, like, nine at the time. Yeah, and also, can we talk about her, how Bella is portrayed in the movie? Like, she's always seen as the damsel in distress and fits the stereotype that a woman needs a man to complete her. And, like, from a feminist perspective, like, Bella's eagerness to sacrifice herself for her love and for, like, for love instead of her own happiness 
and health is incredibly problematic and incredibly dangerous to young girls. Like every decision that's a, like a character makes goes beyond the traditional role of women. They get hurt, they get killed, or they can't bear any children. The book and the film is actually really anti-feminist. Bella is kind of depicted in like a really blank slate. So she has no notion of ideas. She has no emotions. Her only purpose is to love Edward. Yeah, and just touching on that traditional role of women, within the first five minutes of New Moon, like Bella is canonically like 18 or something, and she's already going like, oh my goodness, I'm aging. Like, bro, what kind of message are you sending? You're 18, you're Kristen Stewart, and... 12 years later, Kristen Stewart is still fucking banging still hot. hot like, damn. Also, in an article that I read, um, called A Conversation Between Twilight and the Feminist World by Riedel Hendricks, she notes something that I find really interesting, and it's called enlightened sexism. So enlightened sexism is basically a response to, I quote, the perceived threat of a new gender regime. It insists that women have made plenty of progress because of feminism. Full equality has allegedly been achieved so now it's okay, even amusing, to resurrect sexist stereotypes of girls and women. Basically, feminism exists in the disparity between traditional gender roles and societal values, where enlightened sexism exists behind the facade of female societal achievement. Twilight is basically this post-feminist fantasy, and similar novels that are like that romanticize these regressive forms of romance and sexuality, and the relationships work best when men hold all the power and women only desire to be useful to these men and willingly submit themselves to male authority. Because you know how Fifty Shades was directly inspired by Twilight? Exactly. And also, Twilight characterizes these women through abuse, male dependency, and the inability to successfully really function on their own as well. It kind of like goes against everything an independent modern woman should be. Yeah, also, I know that I'm the white half of this podcast. Yeah, you are the white half. But the very white half. The very white half. established. <laughs> Even I can't help but notice, like, how infantilizing the treatment of Native American people is, and how generally weird, like, the portrayal of minorities is. Something you could say as, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called racist yeah it's racist when bella's doing her little research thing like you see the origin of like the werewolf versus the vampire you see that conflict and you you see just this vast dissonance like whenever you see the vampire it's like it's got a mysterious allure it's like prestige it's got a bit of mystique like edward is imagined as like this i want to say 18th century aristocrat yes. But then you, like, get to werewolves, and it's like, ooh, they're a little bit, like, simple, aren't yeah, they? They're... Oh my god, Native Americans turning into fucking wolves, and in New Moon you get to, like, oh my god, sometimes they can't even control themselves, and as a result they lash out and physically scar the people around them. Like, that's a yikes for me, dog. That's it's like big... that whole idea of, like, Native Americans being savages. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that, you know, vampirism isn't relegated to any one culture, but being a werewolf is inherently Native American. Mm, yeah, it's like calling Native American savages and dogs. It's it's really disgusting. And look, that's 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 very fucking racist. I actually did do a count of how many minority characters with bit parts are in uh, the first Twilight movie. 
There's four. No character who is not white in the first Twilight movie has a substantial role, except for Laurent. Yeah, I watched this movie yesterday. Well, he's the black one. He's the black vampire. Did you no, remember No, I just him? remember him as the snitch, because he goes to the Cullens and is like, yo, James is out of control because Belle's pussy smells so good. Did I say pussy? I meant neck. <laughs> But also, I, I just wanted to talk about how they made Taylor Lautner play Native American when he is not Native. He's just a spicy white. That, and also, Jacob is set up to be, like, this massive plot point. But he does fuck all in the first movie. When all the discourse surrounding Twilight, you hear, oh yeah, it's the love triangle thing. Oh my god, I'm so sick of love triangles. And I'm, like, going through these movies, like, with a microscope. Like, bitch, Where? Where's the fucking love triangle? Like, it's, it's pretty fucking clear that Bella just, like, never really considered Jacob in the first place, even though I was always Team Jacob. I was a Team Edward girl. Uh, after what we just discussed? Yeah, after what we just discussed, I was like, I'm Team Edward, and I realized, uh, maybe that's not a good idea. It just, it feels weird that the minority character is almost inherently a non-option yeah, it's that sort of infantilism of it all. It's like, oh, we're just going to dangle some minorities in front of you and hope you're happy. Like, you can't just do that. That's that's not how it fucking works. Yeah, it's the same idea of, like, fetishism of people of colour, especially fetishism of Native Americans. Like, the way they're, like, kind of depicted on screen is either, like, as savages or as extremely hot. And it used to be weird. It used to be towards females and female Native Americans. They were kind of seen as, like, sexual objects. And now it's towards men. And seeing that shift in power dynamic is something that's really interesting as well. The way they're depicted is, I, like, I keep mentioning as savages. The, it is tokenizing that's the word. Native yeah. Americans. It is 100% tokenizing them, utilizing them as a love interest. But they're never, ever going to be the lo- main love interest. Yeah, they just don't have a chance. It's just something that's not going to happen. And obviously, we're not going to talk about Breaking Dawn and Renesmee. That's a whole different topic with Jacob and the whole imprinting thing. I don't understand that. And I think that's so creepy. You named my daughter after the Loch Ness Monster? <laughs> that was great, though. Uh, that, was a good, that was a good line. I just hate the casting decision for it. Mm. And I understand why people are like, Twilight's good because they recognize Native Americans exist. That's the bare minimum, guys. <laughs> yeah, like, on Disclosure, they sort of discuss that from a trans perspective, how people will... And I actually did write a paper about this. A paper? What am I, a fucking seppo? I wrote an um, assignment on this about how there are, like, there are four stages of representation, and we often get stuck on the first one, which is just exposure. Like, a lot of people just settle for, like, being represented despite what that representation actually entails. So, like, linking that to Twilight, you you see, like, oh, look, there's an Asian character that I'm happy with that. Or there's a Native American character I'm happy with that. Instead of, like, actually analyzing, hang on, how is this Native American or Asian character actually being portrayed within the context of the film? And especially in contrast to all the other white characters. 
Um, I, I, this is just a, a quick little tangent that I just want to like add in. It, it doesn't have no, and it doesn't have any relation to our topic that we discussed before. But um, approximately in ten minutes and fifty four <laughs> seconds, <laughs> Edward. Um, there's a shot of Edward, and he's sitting, and he's just like looking very, very like this, like disturbed and disgusted with Bella. He wants, he wants her blood. Her blood sings to him, and. There's like a white stuffed owl behind him and it like looks, yeah. it looks like it gives him wings. And I remember that and I was like, hi, it looks like he's an angel, but he's also not because it's Bella. What if I'm not the hero? What if I'm the bad guy? Right? Very cringe. But um, like the mise-en-scene like reiterates the character arc of how Bella perceives Edward, you know, yeah. like she perceives him as like this angel, this beautiful being because he sparkles in the sun instead of burning in the sun and also just to reiterate the fact that vampires a western idea perhaps are more visually appealing than perhaps werewolves who are just abs they're tan and they're just something to be oogled yeah, at you and know? that's everyone was riffing on like oh my god they sparkle it's like, when you look back on that, it's like, yeah, it's a ridiculous choice. But also, it kind of fits in with the rest of what Stephanie did. It's like, instead turning them from a monster to something that is pleasing, but then, like, all the issues of being a monster is mostly internalised. It's all internalised perceptions of self-villainy and guilt and, like, just self-hatred. Nobody really hates Edward or the Cullens. Like, they're just those weirdos. They hate themselves. Actually, it's mostly just Edward. Edward is doing all the heavy lifting. He's, he's just, like, <laughs> he's really, he's a negative character, I'd say. Like, when I am when I was reading Midnight Sun, like, it's basically Twilight in Edward's perspective. He basically reconciles with the fact that he, everything he's doing is wrong. He's like, oh, it's so wrong. I'm stalking her. I'm watching her sleep. I shouldn't be with a human woman. I shouldn't be with her. And he hates himself for being a vampire. And he has this really huge internal struggle and conflict whenever he interacts with her. He's like, I shouldn't interact with her. I shouldn't be mm. with her. Because when you compare, I'm going to go into New Moon for a second because there's fuck all werewolf content in Twilight. When you go into like how vampires are visually portrayed, they're just like, oh yes, sparkly, aristocratic. But then whenever Jacob or anybody in his tribe, like, turns into a werewolf, it's always just this insane, feral, losing control sort of deal. It's And it's not even the same as when Edward, like, is sucking Bella's blood and he loses control. It's, there's a difference. It's like this little hint of, like, mm, je ne sais quoi. Yeah, but... As much as there is a lot of criticisms about Twilight, I think there is a defense about it. And obviously, I'm not saying that domestic violence is a good thing. I'm not trying to, I'd say, um, kind of accept it because it's, it's, it's really horrible. And I'm not trying to justify that racism is good because that's bad, obviously. Like, I'm not trying to justify domestic abuse and racism. What I'm trying to say is that I really love Twilight not because of those things, but because of the nostalgia. That's purely the only reason why I love Twilight. And I still love Twilight. And there is, I guess, if you see it from a different feminist like feminist lens, I've, I've been reading kind of different sides to 
how Bella is portrayed. Some people say that she has no agency over herself. Edward manipulates her. Everything she does is for him and not for her own. Bella is actually a really interesting character because she isn't depicted as a manic pixie dream girl. And she doesn't cater to all of the men in her life. And I guess this kind of makes her really less desirable to the male audience and more desirable to the female audience. So the female audience as like woman, we kind of see ourselves in her. That's why she's such a blank slate because we want to kind of be represented by her. We want to kind of like live in her shoes. Like a lot of people can relate to her because Bella is a very, like I'd say it, this is my opinion, but I think she's very authentic. She's a very authentic 17 year old girl. She's quite well-rounded. Like she's really sure of herself. She's empathetic. She's like quite stubborn. But she's really brave as well. Like she's willing to sacrifice her well-being for her friends, her family, and even the love of her life. Like she's willing to do that. Like do you remember the first part of the film when James can, like manipulates her? He's got her mother Renee. She's like, no, I need to save her. I need to, I, like, I need to save her. It shows that she's courageous. It shows that she's brave. That she's willing to save the people that she loves. And that essentially can make her a good role model. But being a role model doesn't mean that you have to be a good role model. She's just an authentic teenage girl. If you were put in the position where your mother's been taken by a kidnapper, you would want to save her, right? Obviously what Bella does is something that is not normal and it's very dangerous and I wouldn't do that myself. But I understand why she would do that. Like Bella, she feels like really trapped in her life. She feels really trapped in Forks. There's nothing there. And then when there's like a promise of love, obviously you would take it, right? Love, happiness, and like a future with somebody, you would obviously take it. And even if that happiness means being in love with her boyfriend or her husband, Edward, so be it. I don't see anything wrong with that. I guess that's kind of my defense of Twilight. It's not really a good defense, but that's just what I think. Well, thematically and content-wise, I don't really have... I, I only have like three defenses for Twilight. The first one being the cinematography as a film. Like, honestly, the way they go from Arizona to Forks, like, it's actually really well done, like, in the colour palette. I love the colour palette. You know, that sort of shift really shows, like, in such a, such a short amount of time, it shows how drastic the change in environment is. And they really make a brilliant use of Washington State's, like, what I can only assume to be just like gorgeous forests or some shit. It, they, they set the scene very well and all those like that lush greenery and the blue. Yeah, also the one thing I like about Twilight film compared to the rest of the Twilight films in the saga is that the Twilight film is the only one that has a style and it has a look and it has that really nice like indie film look and I really love it and I also love Catherine Hardwick. I think she did amazing with the first Twilight film. I'm a big... I'm a big fan of female directors, what can I say? I'm biased. It's really good to see like a like an, a woman auteur really like make a good film for women. I'm just gonna also talk about the mise-en-scene. It's fucking beautiful. I love Bella's room, the way it looks like an authentic 17-year-old girl. Like even her truck, even her red truck, it's really cute. And also, can we talk about Edward's Volvo? I'm gonna like have a little tangent here. Edward's Volvo. How did Stephanie Meyer manage to make a guy driving a Volvo, a Volvo, look cool? 
How does she do that? I don't understand. What if she got against Volvos? Like, it's a... I, I think it's an ugly car. It is not a cool car. But she made Edward drift in a Volvo in the first Twilight film. I'm just saying, Catherine Hardwick did that. She did that. And obviously, I'm just going to talk about the best scene in Twilight. How can we not talk about Twilight and not talk about this scene? The, the baseball, baseball scene. scene. The baseball scene. That That is the second thing that I can defend Twilight on. The baseball scene. And it came from like a place of irony at, the, at first. But honestly, re-watching it last night, I'm like, this actually slaps. It's a good it's exploration of how they work as a family dynamic, how intimately they know each other. It works showing off how fast they can run and like how loud that crack of the baseball bat against the ball is. Like, oh yeah, we need the thunder. It's like, damn. I just, everything about it is great. And not to get too like conspiracy or anything about it, the baseball scene happens about 80 minutes, 80 minutes into the film. The best scene in the entire Shrek franchise also happens at about 80 minutes into Shrek 2. What I'm saying yes. is we stan absolute cinematic masterpieces happening at about 80 minutes into a film. Exactly. I 100% agree with you on that. I love, love, love the baseball scene so much. I had, okay, I'll tell you a story. So, you know when Ellis does that thing where she pitches and she lifts her like up? When I was playing Yo, baseball, I did the exact pitches, same thing. I want to catch. I did the exact same thing, Nick. I lifted my leg up and then I remember my PE teacher being like, <laughs> um, you can't do that. That's really, like, that's, that's really improficient. And I'm like, excuse me, Miss Baxter. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. That I can do it, and I will do it correctly. Um, basically, I got kicked out of the baseball team because of that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. I played softball instead. But I love Alice. That's all I'm trying to say. I feel like this is a tangent of why Mon like Monica loves Alice Cullen and why she um, will die for Alice Cullen and only Alice Cullen. No, no. I would I would die for Alice Cullen too, but she wouldn't let me because she would see it and she would talk me out of exactly. it. Exactly. But yeah, also the one thing about Twilight, the soundtrack. Yes, that is the, the third soundtrack. thing. The soundtrack. Actually, like, because we all know that the big song is Decode by uh, Paramore. But like, that's the thing. It's it's not even just Decode. They They use, like, throughout it, just these great, like, little indie songs. But they just use that to emphasize, like, the vibe even harder. And, like, that soundtrack exactly. just, like, slaps and it's in character and it's it fits in theme and it goes in tone. And it's just like, ooh, that is, once again, on par with Shrek 2. Exactly. Yeah, I said it. Just saying. It's also, fun fact, Rob Pattinson actually wrote a song and actually sang a song for the Twilight soundtrack. And it, they used it where... Um, Edward was actually sucking all of the blood out of Bella when oh. James bit her. And that was actually Rob Pattinson that was actually seeing that he's, yeah, he did that. And I was like, he snapped with that song. And that has started my obsession with Rob Pattinson and why I think he is one of the best actors living today. But yeah, the soundtrack is amazing. I, I, I genuinely, unironically, still listen to the soundtrack to this day. It's like one of the best parts of, of Twilight, in my opinion. Apart from the baseball scene, of course. Well, last night, I, I was like, 
going from, like, the back room to my room, and in between my dog was, like, lying on his couch, and I was just, like, vibing so hard to decode. I was just like, how we get Like, round to his I know. And I just annoyed the shit out of him, just because it slaps so hard, and I just can't control myself. I love decode I so much. And what I want to talk about, though, is the song that is sort of like the, I want to say, the chaotic neutral version of Decode, which is Vampire Money by My Chemical Romance. And that's uh, that came out on their album in 2013. It was their last album as a band, I, I think. Basically, the story behind Vampire Money is because My Chemical Romance was just so big back in the day, like... Black Parade dropped in 2005, Twilight dropped in 2008, so, you know, there is definite overlap in cultural relevance there. So, the people who were producing Twilight approached My Chemical Romance and they're like, hey, we want you to write a song for this vampire movie, and they said no, and instead, (laughs) a few years later, they write this song called Vampire Money, and... It's just, it's basically a subtweet of this experience, and they're like, no, we don't want your money, we would rather, like, not be corporate shills, and we would rather stand on our own as artists, because that's the difference between the punk movement and punk pop. Like, and that's why I think that My Chemical Romance, until they said they were getting back together, they really did stick to the original version of punk because they could have been as big as Paramount. They could have made an absolute banger and we all know they could have. They could have. But they chose the integrity of the art above any money deal and between a rock and a hard place because on the one hand Decode just slaps so hard but on the other hand what would have My Chem done? But the thing is My Chem is true punk. They are not punk pop turning into stroke pop, as Paramore did. They are just full punk. And that is the essence that Twilight wanted to get to. That's the essence that these producers wanted to get. But they couldn't. Because you can't buy that. Because once you buy it, it becomes not applicable anymore. I feel like a Gen X, like, rambling about, like, Ah, uh, punk and ah, uh, selling out. Oh yes, the the Beatles, they were, they were yeah. true rock. If you, if you fucking sell out, you're a piece of shit. You're not even a real artist. Like all props to Paramore, go get that money. But like, I just love that story behind two absolutely banging songs. What could have been and why it wasn't. I just really love that anecdote. The only reason why people hate Twilight is because they hate teenage girls and they hate adolescent teenage girls. And that's all I want to say, is that society just hates women. <laughs> it's true. I too hate teenage yeah. girls. And I was one. <laughs> yeah, I also hate teenage girls, and I was also one. I hated the entire yeah. thing. <laughs> Anyways, um, I think we're just going to see if we can wrap this up now. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening to our rants about vampires, werewolves, racism and feminism, and a bit about punk and pop punk and 
and the baseball scene and how much we love, love, love Alice Cullen and want her to step on us. I want her to just drown me. Just drown you. She just, you just want her to just drown you. Yes, in that whap. Just... Exactly. I just want Alice Cullen to punch me in the face. And I would say thank you. I would be like, thanks, Alice. You're amazing. But the thing is, she's so nice that she wouldn't. She wouldn't. I am such a simp for Alice. I, I really love her. I'm such an Alice stan. Um, She's like the only consistently good character outside of Charlie. Oh, we didn't talk about Charlie, did we? (laughs) Anyways, thank you all for listening to our first episode of As a Film Student. Um, This is our first kind of podcast, our first episode, so things aren't going to be perfect and we know that. We're also in quarantine. But, you know, it is what it is, and we're so happy to have you guys here supporting us, even if you're just friends, even if you're just family, even if you're just a casual listener from Sweden. Thank you anyways. <laughs> and join us next time when we'll be looking at Seven Psychopaths, a film that I relate to way too much as it revolves around an Irish alcoholic who is a failed writer. My god. This is going to be fun. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. This is Mon and Nick signing off from As a Film Student Podcast. Alright. If you want to keep up to date with us, you can do so by following us on Instagram at asfilmstudentpod, Twitter at asfilmstudent, Facebook at asafilmstudentpodcast, or Letterboxd at as film students, we just wanted diversity to make it harder for you. And also, I feel like I was fucking drunk when I made. My god, why is there no consistency?